0: Welcome to the Sheffield Sunday As Bill Sees It meeting. This is a main share meeting and today it is with great pleasure and much gratitude that we welcome Devin C from New York, who's come to share for about 40 minutes, after which we'll open up for general sharing or we can ask a question. Devin, thank you so much for being with us today. It's wonderful to have you here and the floor is yours. Thanks, y'all was morning over here. It, might, it seems like a lot of you, it's afternoon, judging by the, the dialect. Uh, my name is Devin. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and uh, and I am in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I do have a sobriety date, which happens to be August 28th of 2011. And I have a home group out here, which is called No Serenity Till Brooklyn. If you ever find yourself coming out our way, we have four meetings a week. Uh, you can get my info. I think my number is in my name feel free to reach out and uh, I'd be happy to try to meet you and take you to a meeting if I'm in town. And if not, I can get you hooked up with where to go in, in New York city. Um, and uh, and most importantly, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and I think it's important that we all remember um, that the highest you get in AA is you get to be a, a member and you get sober. But if you get asked to speak uh, or chair a meeting or, you know, this is all service. This is all stuff that we do. Um, it's kind of part of our, our early on decision that like I made a decision at some point in my life and I don't really understand I don't think I understood the implication of that decision fully um but I made a decision that I would bear witness of God's power God's love and God's way of life if this uh this alcoholic who couldn't get a day sober couldn't support himself, couldn't live in the world, was suicidal by the age of 24, had no no way of actually understanding how to live in this world. If if some of that stuff could get sorted out and I'd be able to be shown how to live a life and be able to live sober, then I'd make it my, my job. And my responsibility was going to become showing up and letting people know what had transpired and what had actually happened in this life to allow me the opportunity and the privilege to be able to come and sit here with 12 and a half years sober and talk to y'all today. Um, and, and so I, got, I want to talk a little bit about that stuff. And I, I, I this reading is for those of you that are... Well, first off, I want, to, I want to offer that I reached out to Young. He's so kind a couple of days ago. He's like, hey, man, I just wanted to check in if you'd picked a reading. And, and I don't know about you, but I I went to a meeting that was an As Bill Sees It meeting. And we just kind of read it and went like page by page. And I was there for a couple of years. So I went through almost the whole book. And there's I, so I know that this book has pretty much everything under the sun from like first step all the way through all the concepts and service stuff so when it was like pick something from as bill sees it it kind of broke my brain i was like dude this is like the entirety of aa in one book like how do i pick one thing to talk about And, and so young uh gave me a few thoughts with some readings and this one was one of them and so we picked that so i really thank you for that brother um, and, and this is coming out of straight out of the chapter to the agnostic. So I want to talk a little bit, you know, mainly we'll be talking about the second step idea and, and just, you know, the early beginnings of how do you, how, how did I come to, to maybe be open up to the idea that maybe there was a power out there that could actually restore me to sanity and, um, and kind of how that looked. But I, I want to claim a little bit of how I got here. Cause I, I don't know about you guys, but, um, I have a kind of mind where if I don't know you're alcoholic, I just tune out really quick. And If you don't take a drink in the first five minutes, I'm probably lost somewhere off in my own mind somewhere else, you know? And so what I need to let you know is that, you know, the first time I got, I was able to drink, I got drunk. That was the whole point. Uh, we were 12 or 13 years old. We stole a bottle of gin from one of my buddy's parents had like a wet bar in the basement. We just grabbed it one day after school and we started drinking. Um, and and I don't know how much we drank. I just I just know that I I got that. You know our, our literature calls it ease and comfort. I so said we're we're seekers of ease and comfort, <laughs> you know. And and my experience that day was I didn't really understand how uncomfortable and uneasy I had been. You know, and then the introduction of alcohol to my life, it it, it showed that, you know, I was walking around on the balls of my feet that I was feeling, you know, I didn't realize how afraid I was. I didn't realize that I always kind of felt out of sorts. And and the, for the first time in my life, I had this mirror in which I was able to see that, man, every day if I, you know, I'm walking around and it doesn't feel comfortable. And for the first time in my life, I feel comfortable in my own skin. You know, I feel like I could just sit there and, you know, some guy wanted to make fun of me and I would made fun of him right back. I was I was able to do things that I wasn't doing sober, you know, and, and I enjoyed that, you know, and I think a lot of people that I know that are alcoholics will not will talk about not just what alcohol does uh, to us, because, you know, I mean, I have, I'm, I have a wife today and she's a non-alcoholic and, um, you know, if she drinks enough, she'll get sick. I've, I've only seen this one time in over 10 in 10 years, but I did see her once after a wedding. You know, she woke up the next morning, was a little sick. You know, um, you know, you might not be able to walk in a straight line or do all the field sobriety test stuff that law enforcement wants you to do. But um, but alcoholics have something that happens for us. And what happened for me was I felt this kind of release and freedom deep within my soul that I didn't I didn't know that I needed, you know, so it became very apparent to me that drinking was going to be an important part of my life. I tried to do it as often as possible. Every time I drank, I drank to get drunk. uh, I continued to drink. You know, I had this first experience that I ever really think I had of craving, meaning once I started drinking, I didn't have an off switch, came when I was probably 16, visiting my sister at her college. And it was one of the first times I had access with no, you know, I was just staying with her in the dorms. And she was like, oh, you probably want to, you know, have a drink or something. Let's go and see if we can find, you know, some guys with some booze. We walked down the hall. These guys had a bunch of booze, and in ten minutes, I drank so much that I was puking stomach acid the next morning. I mean, I don't know what happened. All I know is I have a 10 minute me- memory of walking into this room, and the next thing I know I'm you know, all I remember is like throwing up and and all that kind of stuff, and you know just drank myself into a blackout really, really fast. And um, you know, I understand that it's not uh normal that does, That's not necessarily what a normal relationship to alcohol would look like. And, uh, and that progressed and I got involved in a whole lot of other stuff as a kid in suburbia, like anywhere USA, it was sometimes harder to get alcohol than it was to find other stuff. And, you know, I'm an adventurous guy. And and so I went off on all sorts of rabbit trails, but at the end of the road, you know, I was 24 years old. I was living in New York city. Um, I had been living a life as a drug dealer for a bunch of years when I was in school because that was going to finance how I could, you know, make sure I had enough money to live how I was going to live. And, um, you know, and I was incapable of drawing a sober breath. And, um, and I ended up, you know, AA found me at 18. I was thrown in a treatment center. Law, you know, the, the law and my family and stuff kind of came to the table and said, you know, you need to do something about all this. And um, AA, you know, there was AA members that took commitment in that, that facility. So a couple of times a week, some of y'all showed up with a smile <laughs> and you brought a meeting to a bunch of us kids that couldn't leave. And so my first ever introduction to Alcoholics Anonymous was through that lens of outgoing service, not home, not home group level service, but like the kind of service where no one knows you're doing it, except you and the other person that you invited to go on the commitment. And these people took time out of their lives and and they came a couple of nights a week to, to do a meeting for us. And, um, and so that was my first introduction to AA that the big book, although this is a falling apart, big book. I got that when I was 18 in 2005 and, um, you know, and I had no intention of getting sober, you know, and so I, I didn't get sober. Shocker. Um, but I, I went on about a six-year run. As soon as I got out of that, it was 90 days about a forced abstinence. I went to a bunch of AA meetings, did everything that the clinical people told me to do, kind of BS'd my way through this summer vacation until going to a, a school on the East Coast for, uh, for college and, you know, got over there and that was it. Um, took a drink the first night took a drink the first night and went on basically six years without drawing a sober breath. And by the end of it, I'm in New York and and I was suicidal because where the, where the road gets difficult for me was when I woke up every day and I had to ask myself, is this the day I'm going to kill myself? And there was a part of me that loudly said, I think so. And then there was that quieter, softer voice that was like, not yet. And it's a weird place to be in when you want to live and die at the same time. And to me, I look back at that and I understand that today because, you know, I think I wanted to control the narrative. I think the only thing I could think of that would possibly allow me some kind of control in my life at that point was when to end it. Because it was so out of hand. I mean, I was unable to get sober. And and for the first time in my life, I, I started to really understand if I don't get sober, this is this is what, where I'm at today might be the best that I get. Like, I don't know if I'd be afforded the luxury of going out, taking a drink and, and not making it and, you know, and just dying. Now That happens to some people, but there's also, you know, in New York City, um, every single day, you get on a train and there's a guy who's in his 60s or 70s that's like clearly been beaten down by alcoholism or drug addiction, you know, and that could easily be me, you know, and I see those guys and those ladies and, and I try to have some empathy and compassion and understand that, like, but for the grace of God, there go I, you know, so I don't know what would happen. I just know that i really got to a point where I knew if I didn't get sober, it was going to be the end of the road. And I started coming to AA on my own, not because of a court, not because of a family member, just because there was a part of me that I had met a few of you along the journey, And there was one guy that was like the sober, happy guy. And I don't know if you've ever met those happy, sober people, but they can be really obnoxious when you're like middle finger to the world. I hate everybody, you know, like, because that's where I was. I was, I hate all of you, right? Get away you know, I'm cooler than you. I'm, you know, what? I had this whole attitude. I don't need you kind of thing. And then then you meet someone who's like a genuinely loving, (laughs) loving person and they... They come up to you, and and you're like, "What game is this person? You know, what is he playing? You know, who? Where the planet is this person from?" And you know, and that man named Will was was from Hawaii, so maybe that had something to do with it. But he, um, at one point, when I talked to him about what was going on, he just quietly said, "Hey, man, I go to AA, and it works for me." You know, so I had some of these guiding lights that that you know, it's kind of like you look back, and it's like, well, you know, it's kind of like God sprinkled in just a little bit of hope along my journey. And I think for all of us, we might have one of those people, or we have someone, and, and, and sometimes it really comes in the form of a random stranger. But sometimes we get those little ex- examples of what that realm of the spirit could look like, and, and what somebody who's awake and has a little bit of this, what we call God consciousness going on. Someone who can look you dead in the eye, and there's that little light in it you know, I think we get some of those when we have some of those people. I think each one of us gets at least one of them. Sometimes it comes in rehab. You know, you find yourself, you're pissed off and you're in the detox one more time. And there's that one tech and you don't know why Billy the tech who's watching you pee in a cup or something is so happy all the time. But it's like, we have those people. Right. And, uh, and so I ended up coming to AA and, and for three months, I couldn't get sober. I drank every night. And that's really where I started to understand what powerlessness looked like. That's really where I started to understand the necessity of, you know, perhaps a guy like me doesn't have the option to just kind of piece me all together, a program and do it how I want to do it. I mean, I literally came for three months and was in a blackout every single night. And I took a drink every single day. And at the end, I took I took a drink without even want, you know, not even thinking about it It wasn't, you know, the book talks about a peculiar mental twist and strange mental blank spots. I mean, yeah, that's what I had. You know, I had the I'm waking up with the determination that I need to get sober. I'm going to the meeting. I'm sitting around with y'all. You're telling me don't drink and go to meetings. And I'm unable to do that. And I'm finding myself out at a bar, pulling a drink away from my face before I even know what happened. And that's where I think I really got ground out in the dust. And and that sobriety date that I offered of August 28th, 2011, I can tell you is not the day I quit. I tried to quit a bunch of times. I don't know about y'all. I, I'm assuming if you're in AA, you probably tried to manage and, and change your relationship to alcohol probably numerous times. I don't know many people that just kind of show up and are like, okay, I've never done anything. Well, I'll just try AA first. You know, I tried a lot of different stuff to change my relationship to the drink. And it all failed. And that day is the day I walked in and I said, I'm, I'm effed and I don't know what to do. You know, I'm screwed here. I don't know what to do. I said, if I'm not surrounded by you people or another one of these meetings, I will take, I am going to be drunk and high later. It's going to happen. You know, the best I do is I drink. And I don't have a way around that. And I wish I, I had, I, you know, it's again, I, I, one of my favorite questions around this step two stuff. Why don't you just go be happy? Take a new person who's like crumb. They're a mess. Why don't you just go? Why don't you just go have some joy in your heart? What are you doing? Why don't you just go live different? You know, it's like, well, duh. If I could do those things, I mean, I think we would all do that. If I could just go be a great person with some positive affirmations and you know read a self help book, and I could just whoop this thing and you know nip it in the butt. I mean, I would have done that years ago. I think if we all, you know, if you're a real alcoholic, you look back at your life. There's Multiple moments where we had opportunities and we had warning signs that the ship was, you know, headed towards the iceberg and we just didn't, we tried to grab the wheel, but we couldn't, we couldn't change course here. And, and so, you know, the day that I walked in and I, I really it was like, I was having an outer body experience, listening to somebody else say like a share in the meeting. And I, and I basically heard myself say that unless I'm surrounded by you people, I'm going to be wasted later. It's going to happen. And it was the truth. The truth was I, I could not get a day sober. And and I, 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 got, I got that feeling kind of right now, but when we stood up to close that meeting and say that serenity prayer, I got that little chill going down your spine feeling. And I hope you know that feeling and I hope you find it in AA. I hope you, you've had some experiences with some people or you've had some experiences where you just feel that identification. You feel like I'm not alone. You know, for me, the message I got was, "You're in the right place." You know, this is for you, and AA has been for me ever since. And and that kind of brings us to this idea that the realm of the spirit is broad, roomy, and all inclusive. You know, I wasn't looking for God. <laughs> I don't even know what God was. I don't even know what God is today. I certainly wasn't looking for it, if, if you ask me. You know, on the intellectual where my mind was at, what I thought I was supposed to be doing in this world. It was, you know, I was not going, okay, I really can't wait for a life of prayer, meditation and self-examination. This is good. You know, none of that, right? (laughs) Oh, love and service. You know, this was not even on the long game, right? It was all about, I need to get stuff for me and I'm living my life and, you know, what can you give me? And, you know, so I had no idea how to consider anything that we talk about in AA that seems to become commonplace. And if you're new and you're listening to some of us sometimes, you know, what are these people talking about? Like, I get you, you know? Um, but that physical reaction that I had saying the prayer, it, it did, did something, you know, and I really look back at today. I can, I can understand that in that five minute window of my life, taking a burning desire after three months of going to a ton of meetings and not being able to stay sober, I, I, the first three steps just kind of happened to me. You know, I gotten ground down to dust to the point where I understood the best I do is I drink. My mind has you know, we talk about having no defense mentally. Like, yeah, I would wake up and say, I'm not doing this today. And I would do it anyways. I drank against my will on a regular basis and to the point where I became hopeless. You know, and I hope you experience that. Like, that, that's, and that's not about it being, like, I, I think we have to experience that kind of, like, bewilderment. You know, or else why would I actually be willing to do the rest of this program? Why would I be willing to consider throwing out a lifelong conception? That's so. So, all right, I got to start talking about this reading a little more because if you see my brain, it it just kind of goes. But the the opening of this reading is is pointing out that in the material world we have all these things throughout the history of man that we've believed. And then one day somebody comes along and goes, you know, I'm not so sure about that. And so when they bring up Christopher Columbus, you know, and I don't I don't mean to be controversial at all. I'm just going to go with the book. I know that today there's been a resurgence of is the world round or flat? I don't have an opinion. Um, but Columbus was the first person to say, hey, you know, I don't think it's flat. <laughs> you just, I mean, I I think it's it's really funny but that we have this idea like it's flat you know yeah it's just when i look it's straight so flat you know that's the logic that humanity brought to the table and then some people were like yeah you know it really seems like there's some curvature here and people really didn't they weren't down you know what i mean i think today we we have luckily we have satellites and and you can kind of go out and you realize like oh there's you know we're kind of seems like there's a sphere going on um Galileo. Galileo, mathematician, starts crunching numbers, looking out, you know, he's a big thinker and he's sitting there and he's looking out at all the stars and and trying to make sense of all this. And he goes, you know, the pattern of all this stuff, the way this is working, it really looks like we're not really the middle, you know, perhaps the sun is actually the center of our galaxy. And they wanted to hang him. I mean, all the map makers that had us and, you know, it's like everyone wants to kill this guy for suggesting that we are not the center of the universe, um, that actually the sun was the gravitational pull that everything was seeing and how we fit into that. And, you know, so they kind of bring out these ideas that like, hey, in the realm of the material, there's been a lot of times where we've just accepted on fact an idea. And we just take it as fact and we don't question it and we live our lives that this is true. And then somebody comes along and they go. Actually, I think you know we figured out this other stuff over here. Now that we can see this, this actually isn't true. And we, you know, and for a lot of people, that's that can be really difficult. Well, you mean I have all this? I've been living my life for sixty years like this, and you're telling me I've been wrong my whole life? Well, yeah, actually, we, we figured it out today. And um, and so I love this argument. And I don't want to use the word argument like we're fighting, but to me, this is what the chapter to the agnostic brings out. And the dilemma that a guy like me found myself in was, I feel like I'm a logical and a practical person. And I needed some people to kind of point out that a lot of the way I've been living my life there, it's kind of like Swiss cheese, right? There's, there's some holes here. And if I'm willing to accept that I've built some ideas about myself and about the world, um, and it's not all going to be rooted in truth and that maybe I have been wrong and maybe I do need to open up to and, and, and try to have a new experience here. Then, you know, when people were able to help me to see that, it became a lot easier for me to start actually taking some action. And I think that's what I have witnessed a bunch. I, You know, I, I I'm a big – this is my this is the most one of the most exciting things I feel like I get to do. I mean, I traveled the world and played music for a living and and I will take getting to sit down with, you know, in a meeting and talk about my experience of spirituality or sit with a newcomer and try, you know, I that that's like one of the most exhilarating things. Probably not in the moment always. So I'm driving the guy that smells with rotted teeth out home. Like I'm not going, yeah, God's given me the gift, right? But but when I get to watch someone like that recover and you get to really see some change take place in people's lives, you start to really understand what this, what, what's available here. And, and so I, I love this idea of of trying to help people to lay aside prejudice. And to me, this entire chapter of the agnostic is trying to give us a bunch of different ways for us to ask ourselves, where does my prejudice inherently fall? And, um, one of the, the analogies to bring it into modern times. So, you know, maybe we can accept the world is round. Maybe not. Maybe we can accept that the, the sun seems to be the center of our solar system, whatever. Those are just two examples. I love looking at modern day because here we are, it's modern times. You get a bunch of, you know, we get a bunch of younger people in my home group. So there's people that like really are disconnected. You know, when, when this literature was written um, in this country, in the thirties, you know, people were really churched. Almost everybody was a member of, of some kind of larger faith organization. So the idea of God and prayer and meditation, or at that point it was more contemplation, was what Christianity was really getting into. It wasn't the Western or the Eastern, you know, like we're doing the yoga and 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 oming kind of stuff. It was more contemplative, you know, prayer was kind of what meditation was seen as you know today there's i mean we literally have people that you know i'm one of them devoid of any kind of religious upbringing whatsoever like pretty much like from the age of 4 on zero you know zero church <laughs> zero any kind of books or any kind of spiritual discussion at home none of it and so i found that sometimes we got to look at how we apply this to a modern day and one of my favorite things to look at is this little guy it's, I love asking people, like, mm, you know how Bluetooth works. You ever, you ever figured that one out? And they're like, "Well, yeah, I take the headphones out, I put them in, and it, and it, I can hear you." And I said, "Yeah, so, but how does it work? You ever figure out how AirDrop works? You ever spin with someone like here, I got this phone, oh, I'll just AirDrop it to you." And I don't know what's going on. All of a sudden, it just gives me a little beep, and I've got it on my phone. I don't get any of this stuff. But what happens is I experience it. And once I experience it, I take it as fact. And so now I don't need to worry about how does Bluetooth work. What happens is I know that I come on here, I open this computer. I don't even have to sync the thing with the thing anymore. It just does it. You know, I literally, you're like, let me do a mic check. I just like literally put the headphones in. They go, it's working, right? And you go like, yeah, it sounds great. Cool. You know, so once I experience this stuff, I'm able to just say that's it, right? And I think for me, that's kind of what a lot of our again, the arguments within the second step stuff in the chapter of the agnostic are pointing out is like, how many things do you just take as fact in your life that you don't have to figure out? How much stuff have you been living by where someone else gave you this idea and you said, that sounds right. And then boom, that's my identity. And is it possible that some of those things that we've kind of taken on fact, maybe aren't correct? There is no God, you know, maybe that's just not true. And are you willing to put some of this stuff to the test? And I think for me, that's been the one of the most amazing journeys of this whole deal. It's like, let's put this stuff to the test. What would it look like if I actually got quiet and tried prayer? What would it actually look like if I had to get quiet every day and throughout the day and ask for help? You're talking to someone, or you're listening to someone that never asked for help ever, and I still struggle with this today. I mean, I am not a uh, come one, come all. I'm going to need help with this stuff and get people together. I'm a I'm going to do it myself kind of person. I'm the lone wolf today, still. And 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 I you know sometimes that really works fine for me, and sometimes it really doesn't, right? So if I'm going to come to believe that there's a power out there that can restore me to sanity, you know, my experience came on the heels of alcohol kicked my butt over and over again. You know, and we talk about, you know, a lot of times in AA, it's in our ninth tradition, the 12 and 12, it's one of my favorite pieces of AA writing. And Bill says, you know, AA doesn't need a disciplinarian. We We have two authorities in AA and it's great suffering and great love. That's it. You know, and if you're an alcoholic, you understand the great suffering and you may not understand the great love yet if you're new, because it may be this whole thing seems scary. And who are these people and what do I do? And, you know, what I could tell you is coming in here and and being willing to try something new opened the door for me to start experiencing. You know, it's like it opened the door for me to get that connection that I was really seeking my whole life. And um And so I love that, this idea that, you know, I mean, they also use the prosaic steel girder. I had to look up all those words because I was like, what does this even mean? Prosaic, if you're wondering, it just means every average, ordinary, everyday, ordinary stuff, right? Like run of the mill. A steel girder is just a steel beam. So if you're ever in a building and it's still being under construction or it's more of like a you know warehouse type thing, you look up and you see those steel beams exposed that are running across the ceiling, that's a steel girder. You know, that's another great example that Bill put together. He goes, This ordinary steel beam. If you, he goes, Science tells us it's a bunch of small particles whirling around. And when they are operating how they operate, they create this thing called steel. And steel is supposedly this certain strength and it's going to do stuff. The only thing that I need to know and what I experience about the strength of that steel is. I walk into the building and the roof's not on my head. As long as the building is standing, I'm willing to believe that you tell me whatever, that thing works, you know what I mean? And so again, it's to me, all this, these analogies and these stories are meant to say, look, there's an experience of stu- of this here. And and we take a lot of this on, a lot of stuff in my everyday life, I just take on fact. and And why not this? Why is it? that I draw the line in the sand and I say, all this other stuff, I'll believe you yeah, have 5g and satellites. And yeah, sure. God, get out of here, dude. No way. No way. That's for weak people. You know? And, and then he, you know, we have all these arguments like, Hey, where was God with insert any number of tragic human stuff that's happened for the last 3000 years? I mean we had the crusades wonderful we had the plague you know you don't have to look far today unfortunately to be able to find what people would call calamity you know and if you're looking for an excuse to try to say there is no god i mean there's a there's a plenty of stuff there's plenty of opportunities of man's world where where human is destroying human we've been doing that for forever and I remember some of my some of my guides along the way would talk about that. Uh, one in particular had a story around some stuff that happened in early 2000s in New York City um, with a couple of buildings that, that disappeared. And he was talking to a guy who was really struggling with it. And My grand sponsor picked up the phone. They were sitting and trying to figure this out. And this guy called him the next morning and goes, he goes, I, I got it. And he goes, I, I, I was sitting there last night in prayer and I realized that if I had been born at that part of the world and I'd grown up maybe how those people had with a mind like me I could have easily been one of those people flying one of those planes and and they were able to put that to bed and they were able to you know get to that place that you know man is capable of doing unspeakable thing to man but in the world of the spirit and in God's world none of that stuff is there and I think that's what the end of this reading talks about you know the realm of the spirit we find is broad roomy and all inclusive it is open to all who earnestly seek. You know, we believe it is open to all men. That's how it's written. And, and please, please, I urge you, do not let the specific words in a book deter you from this. I and mean, we have a book that says we want, we hope that we could write a book that would offend no one. That was the spirit of this literature, you know? So the fact that it says men, that's not saying women don't belong. That's not saying people that don't identify that don't belong. It's open to anybody who's willing to seek, you know, so let's not get hung up on the words. The meaning and the intent of this is, you know, and to me that the charge that we're asked to do is, are you willing to go seek a relationship with some power? You know, if my phone's dying, I'm pretty quick to get that thing charged. I don't know about y'all. If the, if I'm on the meeting now and it tells me this computer was dying, I'd be like, hold on, guys, I'd be running to get a charger right now. I need this power, right? I got it. So I'm quick to seek power when I can see that something's low battery. Is it possible that I've lived my life in a way where I'm walking around on like 2% battery all the time? You know, low power mode. You know, I got I, I really need some help. And as a part of as a product of me being walking around on low power mode for my whole life, you know, I've been trying to get power from all these other people, and I've been trying to get power from You know, the ladies that are being nice to me or, you know, go to the job and I'm going to get the power there. I'm going to get some more power from that money in the bank account. You know, whatever it is, I've been out there worshiping all sorts of other stuff. And none of it produced the result that I was looking for, which is that ease and comfort I got that first day I drank. You know, I've sought a lot of stuff over the years in sobriety, you know, trying to fix that part of me that feels broken. I remember in the pandemic when my career got totally dumpstered by the, you know, uh, live music died. I mean, there was no go to the gig anymore. It was now I'm here questioning my entire existence. You know, I went to a music school I've spent literally, I have, I, I literally called my buddy. I said, John, I've never had a job. I mean, I had some crappy things in high school, but like I've literally sold drugs and I've played drums. Like that's my professional career. I have no resume. Like I don't know how to do this you know, we kind of had a laugh because he worked at a treatment center and he called the boss and the boss was like, he's perfect. <laughs> you, you know, the, the, the burnout drummer, you know, has got no gig like, yeah, get him in. Um, and you know, and so I, I literally like, I felt like my life was over because, you know, I'd spent all this time to something that was just destroyed. And, and I remember calling my friend Judy and I said, Judy, you know, I feel like I'm doing everything that's asked of me. I'm I'm helping people. I've got the home group, I'm doing service, you know, I'm sponsoring a whole small army of people. I'm, you know, I got 10 and 11's cranking, <clears throat> you know, inventories going. You, know, you ever do everything and just feel broken? She sat for a minute and she goes, you know, I think we feel broken because we are perhaps if we weren't broken, we really wouldn't seek this relationship with our creator. And it's almost by design that we're hardwired in a way where we, we aren't going to be permanently charged that like I'm hardwired. I believe in a way that I need to seek this power. And, and to me that, that there's a simplicity in that the onus is on each one of us. You know, I don't really believe in transactional spirituality, I guess is the term I've, I've gone to call it today um you know i don't have a a a concept of a god that you know if i do this you're going to give me that and i and i've seen that hurt a lot of people and i think that's maybe why i've i've really tried to let go of that idea and i think in the beginning maybe that's where we all start okay god i'm going to i'll go to these meetings i will do these steps but you better sh- you know you better get me my family back or whatever it is you know and and we get this idea of like I'll do these things. But what I'm telling God is this is how your will needs to show up in my life. And then when, when I don't get all the stuff back that I wanted, I I really can, that could take me out the door. And what I've found is like, my job is just to seek. And when I seek and I let go of any idea of what's supposed to happen, I've really been given way A way different experience, but way beyond what I could have ever imagined I would have gotten. Um, They talk about this idea that this realm of the spirit is open to all who seek. It's broad, it's roomy, it's all-inclusive. It's never exclusive or, or forbidding. And then they go on, the next bit of this is to talk about what I started to bring up. They go, when therefore we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception of God. And the, the direction here is do not let any prejudice you have against spiritual terms deter you from asking yourself what this means to you. You know. So I think the most, one of the most important things for us early on is to go, what's, what's standing between me and actually attempting some of this? Because some of us really can't get over the God stuff. I mean, there's pamphlets about it. There's an entire chapter devoted to the idea that for some reason the alcoholic has this this wall between this idea that spirit is the is the answer to my problem. And and maybe that's about. I don't think it's about a knowledge or an understanding. I mean, I think we can all understand that alcoholism is is beyond what we can deal with that's usually when you come in here that's the easy part to understand and where i struggle with this 12 and a half years in and where i most of the stuff in sponsorship they're just trying to be helpful to other people that have been here for a while Is we're talking about you know feeling like there's an absence of this thing today or that some new thing has come in and and i don't think god's going to work on that And, um, and so perhaps I'm doing things and I have old ideas and I have belief systems and I have prejudices that say, I don't need to pray in regards to X, Y, or Z, or God's not going to work on X, Y, or Z. And, and I think that's where I'm charged. Like my charge here is to figure out what stands between me and, and trying, you know, I've got a lot of fear around the money stuff, you know, because I never, well, not, this is, I use that term loosely today. I don't really have, there's about like, you know, 3% fear on the overall arch of my life from a person who was like terrified, a pretty amazing change, but you know, without having any kind of real, uh, uh, there's, I don't have healthcare benefits, you know, that this country, it's like, you got to have a actual tax job with like full time. I don't have any, my wife has that. So we can get on healthcare stuff there, but you know, I don't have a set schedule, so it's like the phone needs to ring or I don't have money. And so there's, there's these moments like at the beginning of this year where I'm looking at my calendar going, well, <laughs> the bills don't stop and we don't have that much money here. And let's see what happens, you know, and, and um, the amazing thing about my experience with all that is all I've ever done is I've said, God, please just use me. I get up in the morning and my prayer life today mostly consists of prayers that that try to relinquish any idea that I have any say in what's gonna happen. I mean I have to we have to each participate in our lives, you know. If I have prejudice, if I'm not willing to pray, I gotta find out what why am I not able to pray? Why am I not able to just get quiet and humbly say, I need some help. Please help. You know, am I willing to call somebody and say those words? That's prayer. You know, am I I willing to start looking at what I think prayer is and why I'm not doing it? What about sitting quietly? Well, I got a lot of stuff to do. Well, yeah, but when your mind is running around like an insane, like, like this energizer bunny, how much stuff do you really get done sitting there thinking about it? You ever wonder why we can't get an inventory done when we're new? You know? The guy's not, I'm like, you're just sitting there thinking, just put, get a, get a pen, stop thinking and start doing, you know? And that's what a big part of this is all about. Like, Hey, are you willing to seek a relationship with your God? Are you willing to ask yourself if I was going to pray to a God, what does that God need to look like? Or what can't that God be? You know, one of my favorite questions and the question I'll, I'll end. I'll leave you with is our buddy Clinton out in the West coast. He used to talk about it a lot, and he goes, just right here, right now. Maybe it's worth us asking each of ourselves and taking this for the day. Today, what am I unwilling or unable to let go of in order to develop a deeper relationship with my God? You know, to me, that's a forever question. And each day, it might be a little different. I might wake up tomorrow, and I got something else that I'm just going to hold on to. I'm not going to let go of that one. And I think that's what this charge is on a longer game. In the beginning, it's like, are you willing to give this stuff a shot? Are you willing to consider an inventory? Are you willing to consider that you've harmed a lot of people? We got to figure out what that stuff is. We got to go pay back the money. We got to talk to the family. We got to do some work here. Are you willing to put your hand out and try to help others? Are you willing to get a service commitment and a home group? You know, That's like the beginning, speaking into the realm of the spirit. Are you willing to do the bare minimum stuff here? Because this really is the, bear. having a home group, doing service, sponsorship, inventory, prayer, that's the bare minimum. You know, if we're not involved in, like, in that, if I'm not actually, like, using this program as a way of life, and I'm not trying to help others, and I'm not trying to give that back and be in community with y'all, like, that's the bare minimum. But then once you get that established, like, now I'm starting to really look at the world and at my life, and, and as life gets good, I want to hold on to stuff. And I find that my sense of ego and, and pride and righteousness and arrogance and my indignation and all that stuff starts to come back in and, and so for me, it's like, hey look, we get a glimpse of the realm of the spirit. Our book talks about um, we've ceased fighting anything or anyone even alcohol. And it tells us that right after we've entered the world of the spirit. And, and it was pointed out to me that we don't we're not permanently in the world of the spirit. But we enter it and we find that we don't fight the world. And it was suggested that if I find that I'm fighting the world, perhaps I've entered back into the world of self. And then I need to take a look at what's standing between me and this power and what's standing between me and seeking a deeper relationship with God right here and right now. And usually I'm going to find something in the world of material. And to me, that's what this reading is all about. It's trying to delineate that the world that we are living in and society and all that crap is just slightly different than when we can really open our hearts to each other. And to me, the experience that Alcoholics Anonymous has given me for over 12 and a half years is now is it's an experience of us opening our hearts and loving each other. And I've been given this amazing opportunity to experience unconditional love from a bunch of strangers and I've gotten to watch people's lives change. My life has been permanently changed. It seems. I hope so. You know, I plan on doing this for as long as I can. I really don't have an interest in, in not doing this. Um, I've been on a pink cloud for like nine years. I think you can just stay on the pink cloud. You just make a decision to do this and you can have a wonderful life. Um, but along the way there's, you know, it's heartbreak. There's alcoholism. we watch people not make it all the time. And, uh, but if you're willing to get up one day at a time and seek a relationship with power, my experience is you will find power. And that power is what's been saving my life. And so I believe that's open to everybody. It's available to everybody. I want to thank you all for inviting me and, uh, and allowing me to come and hang. It's been super fun. Thanks.